You can turn your Bible to Colossians chapter 3. Uh, over the last few weeks, we have uh, worked our way through Colossians chapter 2 and how Paul addressed some of the heresy that was plaguing the church at Colossae. He has helped them understand their need to forsake these human philosophies. And the question then becomes, where then should our focus be? We're to turn away from the, all these, these things that have been influencing us and these, these human philosophies, but where do we turn to now? And that's, that's sort of where Paul picks up in, in chapter 3. And we'll be studying verses 1 through 4, uh, Colossians chapter 3. Would you stand with me in honor of reading God's Word? God's Word says this, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now with open hearts and open minds to understand what it means for us to have been raised with Christ. Father, if there's any here who need their hearts to be turned in this area, Father, would you do through your word what we know only you can do to, to change us, to change our minds, to change our hearts, that we may live in in obedience to you. And we know that your word is a sword, able to, to pierce the heart and divide our minds. So God, would you, would you help us, change us, as we study your word. In Christ's name, amen. You can be seated. When the war office was created in 1776 to manage the Continental Army, it adopted the motto, This Will Defend. And each of the words in the motto is meaningful. This refers to the United States, the U.S. Constitution, and liberty. Will refers to the Army's collective team efforts. And defend refers to the primary function of the Army as a defender of the nation, not as, a, as an aggressor towards others. And that motto, this will defend, is a motto still used today by the United States Army. When you sign up to join the Army, you are agreeing to live and die by that motto. By joining, you necessarily become a defender of this country. Well, Christians, there are things that are necessarily true of you too. That if you are a Christian, then certain things necessarily follow. Paul begins this section by saying, If then you have raised with Christ. Now he's referencing back to what he taught in verses 11 through 14, the last chapter. Christians have this old self that has been, been put to death. Self 
that love sin is, is no longer more. We've been raised to a new life. Christ rose from the grave. He, he enabled us to be what Jesus said to be born again. We looked at how he, he canceled the record of our debt by dying on the cross for our sin. So if you are a Christian, then you were once dead in your sin and now you are alive because of, of Christ. And if that's true, then certain things necessarily follow. There are certain things that we are and certain things that we do as Christians. And I would summarize it in terms of of this text like this. To be raised with Christ means that you act differently and you think differently. And so we're going to explore those kind of two things of of what it means to act differently and think differently because of this, this new nature. You have a new nature, a nature with the ability to obey and to please God. A nature contrary to the old nature that you once had that loved your sin. In our text, we, we sort of see three transformations that are necessarily true of you if you have been made alive in Christ. Now, by no means are these four verses a full explanation of, of what it is that a Christian looks like. Um, but as Paul is urging this church to faithfulness to Jesus and away from these human philosophies, he's going to show them three transformations that, that show them what their relationship to these false relation, these false teachings are. They are to pursue Christ and not these. This is, this is what you look like in comparison to the, the human philosophies and what they have been teaching you. So uh, avoid these heresies and posture yourself like this. If you have been raised with Christ, then these things are, are true of you. This is necessarily true for you if you're a Christian. So if you have been raised with Christ, then... We see it in the imperative here. Seek the things that are above. Seek the things that are above. And you you see that imperative right here in verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And so first, if we're going to understand the implications of that, we need to understand, well, what are the things above? You know, if I were to ask my children that, they would probably just look up at the ceiling and say, the light bulbs. But I assure you that the things above are much more significant than what we can physically see when we cast our eyes and look upward. What are these things that are above? Paul gives us a clue in this verse. He said, the things that are above are the things where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Well, where is Jesus seated at the right hand of God? Luke 24 answers that question. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. That's the ascension of Jesus. After Jesus rose from the grave, he ascended into heaven, to his throne, to his place of glory. He is in heaven, the Bible tells us. So when Paul says, the things that are above, he is saying, seek heavenly things. That's still a confusing statement, isn't it? pretty broad. I mean, heaven is described as as having a a mansion prepared for us. So does that mean that while we're here on earth, we ought to pursue mansions? I mean, that's a heavenly thing, isn't it? Revelation 21 describes the new heavens and the new earth as as having streets of gold. Does that mean to to seek after heavenly things that, that we ought to pave our driveways in gold? That's a heavenly thing, isn't it? 
Well, what about this throne that, that Jesus is, is apparently sitting on? There's, uh, ought we pursue a, a throne? I mean, all those are, are heavenly things. Well, it's clear that he cannot mean the physical treasures of heaven, as if Paul wants us to yearn for material things. I mean, really, that goes against everything that Paul has been teaching. He's calling them to desire Christ above all, not material things. This this whole book is about the supremacy of Christ, the sufficiency of Christ. Christ. If you have Christ, then you have all you need. He's not calling you to pursue material things. Paul knows the danger of focusing on material things. Remember what he told Timothy, who Timothy and the Ephesian church, as Timothy was pastoring there in Ephesus, he said, But those of you who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. No, the things above are not material in nature. So what does Paul mean? What does it mean to seek that which is heavenly? And Paul is referring to the things that flow from Christ that we will experience fully in heaven and can experience in part now because of of what he teaches in verse 3 that that we will get to in a moment, that we are hidden in Christ. I mean, what did Paul teach in chapter 1, verse 5? Heaven is where our hope lies. So to seek the things of heaven are to seek the things that characterize Christ. Tenderness, kindness, meekness, patience, wisdom, forgiveness, strength, purity, love. We will experience those things perfectly one day in heaven. And we are to seek after them now, experiencing them in part of being hidden in Christ. The word seek is a present imperative indicating that this is a continuous, ongoing effort. It's a lifelong task to seek the things that are above. It's a change in our actions to pursue that, what Christ is like. Albert Einstein was dismissed from school in Munich because he was thought to lack interest in his studies. He next failed to pass an examination to enter a polytechnic school in Zurich. He then became a tutor for the boys in a Zurich boarding home, but soon was fired. But he persisted over and over and over and over. Despite the circumstances of his life, nothing would deter him from becoming educated. And you know how the story ends. If you're familiar with Albert Einstein, he would end up becoming one of the most renowned scientists that ever lived. His theories are still studied and used today. Well, every single Christian, if you have been raised with Christ, is called to seek and to seek and to persist and persist in your seeking of the heavenly things. When you find yourself in anger, you are to to seek after peace and patience. When you find yourself in hate, you are to pursue love. When you find yourself unkind, you are to seek kindness. We are to live now in what we will experience perfectly one day in heaven. In essence, the the picture that that verse gives us is is really a, a picture of what it is. It's to seek to have Christ on the throne of your life. Christ is now seated on, on a throne in heaven. Well, as He reigns in heaven, He should reign in your heart. And that's how we seek the things that are above. Experience it here and now as you submit to Jesus as Lord. Experience peace by going and being peaceful. Experience love by going to love others. 
Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And so that's a necessary action that we take as ones who have been raised in Christ. We, we do the imperative, seek the things that are above. And, but our transformation goes beyond our actions and into our very minds. We begin to think differently. So as Christians, we necessarily set your mind on things that are above. That is to focus on them, make them the aim of your life. To seek things above is our actions, but this is about our thinking, our, our frame of, of mind. And Paul addresses this in the next verse, verse 2. He writes, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. And this is what Jesus taught, isn't it? Remember what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. He said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You, you focus on the things of the world, enjoying the treasures of the world, but those things are, are fleeting. But set your mind on, on heaven. Live for heaven. Because that is of eternal value. When you have been raised with Christ, it changes how you think about everything. Your mindset about everything in life changes. Your mind is now one who is, is thinking and dwelling about what is to come. The heavenly things. The treasures and blessings of earth are, are no longer an ends to themselves, but, but everything, everything you do becomes a, a venue to bring glory to God. You know, lots of families desire children, whether biological or through adoption. That's Christians, non-Christians. We want children. But when your mind is set to the things that are above, it changes your reason why you want children. Your reason for having children goes beyond just, just the desire to, to procreate. Now you build a family and raise disciples of Jesus and further the kingdom of God. Your mind is set on the things above. It impacts everything. You earn money so that you can be a good steward of it for God. You live generously with it. You give to the local church. You, you help those in need around you. Because your minds are set on the things Above, not on earth. Every decision that you make, your mind is changed from the, from the job that you choose to where you live to how you educate your children. Everything, everything that you see, every decision that you make is now in this frame of, of living for heaven. Living to the glory of God. And this is part of Paul's argument in this chapter. If you, if you just kind of peek ahead to a text we'll study in a couple weeks... You'll kind of see how he concludes this. Verse 17 of this chapter, he says, And whatever you do, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Everything we do, we do in the name of the Lord. And that's what it means to have our minds set on the things above. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. And, and we're then told why we should do that. Why should we set our minds on the things that are above? Verse 3 tells us, 
for. So that's indicating it's answering the question why. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. This is your union with God. If you have been raised with Christ, then you have also died to your old self, and you are now hidden with, in God with Christ. You know, we're more used to hearing a phrase, something like, Jesus is in your heart. We're not used to hearing a phrase like, you are in the heart of Jesus. But our union with God is described in, in three ways in the Bible. God in us, us in God, and God with us. And all three of those things are, are true in terms of our union with God. God in us, us in God, and God with us. But what does it mean that our life is hidden with Christ in God? It means that we share a common life with Him. 1 Corinthians 6 says that the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with Him. It means that we are secure in Him. John chapter 10, Jesus describes how no one can snatch us from God's hand. We are eternally secure in our salvation. Nothing can separate us from God, Romans 8 would tell us. You set your minds on the things above because you are one with God. You are hidden in Him and you always will be. This is necessarily true of you if you are a Christian. Your mind is set on the things above because you are hidden in Christ and it changes everything. John Christostom, who preached in Constantinople late 300s, early 400s, he was hauled up before the Byzantine Empress because she was frustrated by his resistance to her authority. See, his final authority was God as revealed in his word. And he preached and he taught and he lived according to his final authority, even if that meant sometimes going against her authority, his earthly authority, if you will. And she didn't like that. She threatened him. First, she threatened to banish him. And he responded, You cannot banish me, for this world is my father's house. But I will kill you, said the empress. No, you cannot, for my life is hid with Christ in God. I will take away your treasures. No, you cannot, for my treasure is in heaven and my heart is there. But I will drive you away from your friends and you will have no one left. No. You cannot, for I have a friend in heaven from whom you cannot separate me. I defy you, for there is nothing you can do to harm me. And that's what it looks like to have our minds set on the things above. Every decision we make has heaven in mind, has God's glory in mind. It allows us to live without fearing man, but we fear God alone. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things of the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So we are to seek the things that are above. We are to set our minds on the things of, that are above. And finally, those who are raised with Christ must wait for the things above. And so there is a sense that we get to experience heavenly joys because we are united with Christ. Jesus established a kingdom that is here, present now, and in a sense is still yet to come. But as long as we, we live before the return of Christ, we're waiting 
for the fullness of His kingdom to come. We are, are waiting for the fullness of the joys of heaven. We are waiting for the things above. And, and there are two types of waiting. You can imagine one type of waiting as, as the little kid holding his soccer ball by the window and it's pouring down rain outside and he's just miserable. Like he just wants to go out and play and he, he just can't stand it. He hates it. He hates the wait. And then there's a, the other type of waiting, like the, the kind of waiting where you haven't seen your best friend in a really long time and they're coming to stay at your house. And so you're, you're prepping your house and you're, you're, you go and you buy the, the foods, your favorite foods of your friends and, and, and you, all these things, you're getting ready and you're excited and you're excited. Friends, that's the kind of waiting that, that we do as Christians. We're waiting and we are waiting for the Lord to come. Verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, consider that for just a moment. Powerful thought. Jesus isn't just the source of life. He is our life. In Him we have life. And Paul would say in, in Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Jesus is our very life. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. And Paul cast the eyes of the Colossian church to the return of Christ. When the, the, the things that are above, the heavenly things, will come as Jesus comes to reign. And we will join Him in glory, Paul says. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. In, in Genesis chapter 6, God looked over the earth and everyone except for Noah was abundantly wicked. The earth had gone into utter chaos and, it, and its sin. And so God chooses to destroy the world in this, this flood. He speaks with Noah. He tells him his, his plan. He tells him that, that he is to make this ark, a large boat that would protect him and his family along with two of every kind of animal. Now, in a day when there was not machinery, this is a huge undertaking that would have taken a very long time. I mean, how could it be possible to build a, a boat this large for, the, for this kind of task that God had laid out for him? Not to mention the ridicule that he would have faced from everyone. He was not near water to put this boat in. It wasn't even raining. And yet we're told there in Genesis 6 that, that Noah did all that God had asked him. Now, How was he able to do that? Well, we were also told that when God was, was describing out and laying out his, his plan to Noah, that he also cast Noah's eyes to the future. God told him, I will establish my covenant with you. He cast his, his eyes beyond the flood into a time when, when God would save Noah and, and make a covenant with Noah. And what a help that must have been for Noah as he sought to obey in building that ark for all those years. And that's what Paul is doing here. He's casting their eyes to the future, to heaven to the time when Jesus will return and we will appear with Him in glory. And what a help that is for us to obey. 
and eyes are cast to the hope of glory. Just imagine that day. I mean, what does that mean? That Jesus will return in glory. I think there's no better picture of it than how Revelation 19 describes it. I just want to read this for you and you can and just picture the glory of the return of Jesus. John sees it. He says, Then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True and in His righteousness He judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on His heads are many diadems. And He has a name written that no one knows but Himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped with blood and the name by which He is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe, on the thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And Paul says... You're with Him in glory. You're on His side. So all the, the difficulty that you face in this life, all the trials you face, all the, all the sufferings that you endure, all the times you may feel forgotten by God, that you, you feel like nothing goes your way, all the suffering will have been worth it to appear with Jesus in His glory. This is the day when we will know who belongs to Jesus. Because we will appear with Him in glory. It's the dividing line. Those in Christ will appear with Him. Those who aren't are going to be the recipients of His holy fury. Christians, this is a Jesus to be feared. But you will have no fear of His condemnation because you are hidden in God with Christ. You are free from His condemnation. And so this is a glorious day for Christians. This is the day when when Jesus brings about His kingdom of perfect rule and perfect peace, when true justice shall finally come. And as Christians, we are to be waiting for it. Waiting in excitement for that day. Longing for it. I like the way that Paul tells it to the Philippian church. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Paul casts the eyes of the Colossian church to that heavenly citizenship, fully realized in the return of Jesus. We long for it. We wait for it. We hope for it. And that's only true if you have been raised with Christ. The return of Jesus is not a day to wait for if you are an unbeliever. This is the day when you will be shown for who you truly are, an enemy of God. And the result of that day for you will be judgment and condemnation. You will be on the wrong end 
of the fury and wrath of God. But there is hope for you here and now. And that's what the gospel of Jesus is all about. To rescue you from your sin so that you become a worshiper of God. So that you bring glory to God in all that you do. The command to you if you're not a Christian is this. Repent, therefore, that your sins may be blotted out, that the times of refreshing may come in the presence of the Lord. That's from Acts 3. Believe in Jesus who died and rose from the grave and you too can be raised with Christ, transformed to seek the things above, to set your minds on the things above and to wait for the things that are above. Let's pray. God, would you help us not make our treasures here on earth, but to treasure what you treasure, treasure the heavenly things, to cast our eyes and live for for heaven, to bring glory to you in all that we do. Father, if there's someone here that does not know you, help them recognize their sin, grant them faith and repentance that they may believe and turn to you, our only hope of salvation. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.